Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Resistance TV. It's um, Wednesday, 17th of August, um, and tonight I'm joined by my guest, um, Kathy Larkman, um, to talk about this new policy which has been brought into, it's, been, it, it's a advice and guidance that's been brought in nationally for police forces, um, which relates to sex and gender and um, uh, uh, strip searching and intimate searching of suspects. So, um, I'd like to welcome Kathy to the show. Hi. Hiya. Hi. So, Kathy, you're a retired um, police, let me get this right, police superintendent, operational, yeah. operational superintendent um, with over 30 years experience within South Wales Police and with supervisory experience of frontline policing uh, officers, police officers. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I joined South Wales Police in 1989, retired last year in 2021 I actually did over my sort of um term of service which was 30 years so I did about 31 and a half um mm -hmm. trying to get my staff through some of the worst parts of the sort of covid um pandemic yeah um and you know I've obviously done a variety of roles worked my way up from constable since joining in the late 80s and um was a really proud officer as well I, I like to think I always tried to do the right thing not the easy thing, because I think that's what leadership's all about, doing the right thing and not the easy thing. And yeah. I probably thought I was going to have a very sort of quiet, comfortable, pleasant retirement and taking up a few little hobbies. Well, that hasn't quite happened in that way, has it? <laughs> Best laid plans. So um, so before we go into this and find out more about what this policy actually says and what the implications are and what your involvement in that is, um, just like to give a reminder to everybody that we will be allowing 15 minutes at the end of the session today for people. Um, to, so we're going to respond to questions. So please do um, put your comments and questions in the chat. It's great to hear from you. And thank you very much to everyone for all of your feedback over the first two sessions that we've run within this season. Um, it's it, we did have some problems with the audio last week, but nevertheless, it feels like it was it's it's been positively received by people. So thank you for that. Um, and I'd like to also please ask people to like and please also subscribe to the YouTube uh, channel. If we have, um, I think we've got you know a good bunch of um, people. Our audience is growing for these shows, and if we can kind of demonstrate that there's an interest for us to continue talking about women's issues and have those higher up on our agenda as an organisation, I think that that would be really really good and so as many people who can subscribe to the channel and share that that would be really great so thank you for that um so yeah so if you could kathy just give us a rundown of what's changed what's this new po new policy or new guidance um what does it involve is it mandatory uh, for all of the different police forces um and what does it mean for people what's it mean for women for, for and also for police officers as well well, there's over 40 sort of provincial police forces in um, England, Scotland um, and um, Wales and Northern Ireland. Each is run up in terms of its sort of operational policing business by a chief constable who's sort of at the top of the tree, really, of um, operational policing. And there's obviously a rank structure sitting below that. Um, sitting alongside the Chief Constable then, in a manner of speaking, is the Police and Crime Commissioner, which you know, I assume everybody might be aware of this, but I'm sort of happy to clarify any of this if needs be. Um, and there's obviously other sort of organisations then, and one I'm going to be referring to a lot is the National Police Chiefs Council, or the NPCC, so I don't have to say it all the time. Mm -hmm. 
But the MPCC basically is the body that all the chief constables of all those forces covering in England, Scotland, uh, Wales and um, Northern Ireland come together um, and speak to other representatives like the Home Office, etc., and decide all their sort of relevant policies, things that they should be agreeing on, um, matters of sort of current public concern, etc. So it's a really important body of people, um, you know, affecting all of us here today um, in terms of sort of the policing we receive. Um, now, what sort of happened was really that I noticed last year in 2021, fresh out of retirement, and freshly new into Twitter, I have to say as well, <laughs> first of all, um, that there was a lot of sort of public concern, and especially concern from women online around searching policies by the police. Um, and there was a lot of talk as well about you can be strip searched by a man if that man then sort of self-identifies as a woman. And I could see this as causing a lot of consternation, distress and worry. And women's issues have always been really, really important to me. So I knew that obviously that, that, that those women's concerns were really genuine, really real. You know, we'd come out of several sort of really high profile, horrendous situations involving police interaction with women. And, you know, one particular one, obviously, you know, Sarah Everard, you know, and that horrific circumstances around what happened to that poor woman was obviously adding to that sort of distress concern and public trust and confidence in the police is really really important because they're our police service you know that's really important and really precious to me particularly mm. so seeing all this sort of um, consternation online I thought this really needs to be addressed so I wasn't convinced really the police service was, was seeing it and the MPCC was seeing it and it needed to be laid at their front door. So last year in October, I wrote a very comprehensive letter, she's still here, <laughs> um, one to the National Police Chiefs Council, the head of the National Police Chiefs Council, because there's always like an officer who leads that. And I sent a similar letter to the College of Policing, which sort of sets the standards for policing across the UK as well. I also sent a similar letter to the Police Federation of England and Wales, who represent officers of the rank of um, PCs, sergeants and inspectors, because it's going to be mainly PCs and sergeants affected by this as well. I have to say sort of at, at you know, at street level. Um, and I sent one as well to Her Majesty's Inspector to Constabulary too, because they got a role in terms of sort of, you know, making sure the police are doing what they're supposed to be doing and the level at which they're doing it. So I wrote a letter and I sort of laid my cards out on the table. I said, look, all this, con you know, in a nutshell, all this consternation is going around on around searches. You know, you need to lay out what the law actually is in relation to this before it escalates any further. And I just read out a line from that letter just so that, you know, this was reiterated several times in different ways. There is currently a public climate of fear amongst women and girls around their personal safety. Women need to know the limits of police powers and the lack of clarity around stop search and who uh, can indeed subject them to invasive searches is not helping with this. So, I really laid out my concerns. I asked them to clarify the current situation in relation to strip and intimate searches. So that's sort of the background to it. 
Mm -hmm. I don't know if everybody listening is aware, but there's not a one-size-fits-all search that may happen to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you think of a search on the street initially, that could be a basic search, which would be um, basically jacket, outer coat, gloves, and a bit of a pat-down, etc., that, can, that, in theory, can be carried out under the Police and Criminal Evidence Act uh, by any officer. And in my old force, we'd actually record those on body-worn video for transparency as well, so that, you know, we'd be accountable and we'd be able to make sure that they were being carried out properly, etc. And, and, you know, to help people with public trust. Um, stepping up from that, then, there's a more thorough search, which may involve the removal of items of clothing, that has to be carried out out of public view and the Police and Criminal Evidence Act says that that has to be carried out by an officer of the same sex. So PACE, Police and Criminal Evidence Act says of the same sex. There's no mention of gender there, it's sex. And it's a really, really important distinction which I'm I'm sure we're gonna go on to. Um, And then you've got sort of strip searches, um, which is the sort of basically you know, removal of clothing, which will involve the exposure of intimate parts of the body, which have to be carried out sort of in, in a building and out of public view. And again, officer of the same sex. And then intimate searches, which are subject to, um, which won't be a street level search, would be as like a search when you're already in custody and carried out under certain circumstances, it's got to be authorised under certain circumstances as well. And, you know, they are carried out by a medical practitioner. But again, there's a lot of guidance, not guidance, regulations around them, around um, the officers present needing to be of the same sex as well. For obvious reasons, you know, privacy, dignity, all those reasons. Yeah. So I asked the MPCC just basically, you know, lay it out because this is what I know PACE says. And, you know, and if you lay it out, obviously that those issues around women's trust and confidence may dissipate then you know once people realize the situation and they know what their rights are in respect to this so things sort of um basically sort of petered along for a little while and then it was around about in march that's sort of checking the dates here i had a reply from the npcc um basically with a policy that they'd agreed in december 2021 at a meeting of all the police, all the chief constables of the area, um, where they had considered a recommendation from the NPCC L- uh, LGBTQ plus lead, Vanessa Jardine, um, which basically said that those searches, that more thorough search, strip search, intimate search, which Chris says requires an officer of the same sex, mm-hmm. that they, they had decided and agreed that that would no longer apply in effect. Their interpretation of that would be that once an officer says that self-identifies as another gender, they started using the terminology gender within that. But yeah, once yeah. the officer self-identified that that was their lived gender, that they could then search a person of the same gender as they self-identified into. Mm-hmm. But to me, that flew in the face of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act. I was really worried about what I'd seen in that sort of paper that they considered, because I couldn't see any consideration whatsoever of the impact of women on how women may feel about this. And I appreciate, I have to say, that 
you know, men may have feelings around privacy and, and dignity as well. I, I don't mean to diminish any of those, but obviously I was coming from the point of view of females um, primarily in mine. Mm-hmm. But they hadn't appeared to take any regard to that at all. You know, they hadn't given the only sort of nod that they had really to the woman's feelings was that um, the woman could object and ask for somebody else. Mm. But a female being searched is not necessarily going to be aware that she can object, especially yes. especially if she's overwrought or, you know, feeling under a lot of pressure, etc. And, and to me, that's not good enough. No. You know, as a police officer, you've got a responsibility, really, you know, in terms of accountability and, and, and an invasive tactic like search, making mm. sure it's carried out impeccably because it can go mm. wrong, but you know it goes wrong. So mm. I thought they were tone deaf. And I'm still quite shocked, Mandy, I have to say, with the uh, response. So what exactly was the the response? It was just that you got to see the guidance and and there was no evidence of any consultation with women or consideration of how women or men might feel about that? No, no, none at all. I mean, there was a lot of consideration in terms of... um, police officers who would, you know, be carrying out the searches, who were self-identifying, and the impact there may be on those officers um, if, you know, a woman in this case objected to being searched by them. There was a lot of consideration for the police officers, but for a policing service, which is supposed to value the community and the public primarily, that was absent, that was totally absent, and that was deeply worrying to me which is why I made the decision then to go public with it okay so that that was the turning point when you decided I need to do something Absolutely. about it yes yeah because it I mean there's a couple of things really that, that come to mind <laughs> loads of things that come to mind okay so the PACE guidelines started talking about gender even the, the PACE guidelines talked about sex but the new guidance started talking about gender out of the blue yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was a massive yeah. conflation of sex and gender within the document that had been discussed and agreed by the MPCC. You know, the, these are two totally different terms. You know, sex, you know, as most people understand it and as, as de- defined, relates to your sort of natal sex, your biological sex. That's my mm. understanding. Yeah. Gender to me is obviously, you know, a, more of a sort of socially constructed, um, you know, it's usually sort of stereotypical behaviour then. Mm-hmm. But, it's yeah. been, but lately, I think there's another issue here which has led us to this problem, and that's people using the expression gender as a sort of polite euphemism instead of sex because mm-hmm. they, you know, they don't want the connotation with sexual intercourse, so they use gender instead yeah. of the term. Like when we talk about the gender pay gap, we probably should have been saying the sex pay gap all, all of that time. Really, that would have been a lot clearer, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think as well, you know, the term gender is in modern sort of parlance has also come to mean, you know, some people believe that you've got an inner gender identity, which is what this is all about, isn't it, really? So mm-hmm. it's yeah. this belief that, you know, that inside you 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 know you don't really feel like the sex that you actually are and that's your yeah. gender identity apparently so yes and it's like, basically that it's just saying that you don't fit this the usual stereotypical expectations of your sex that's that's kind yeah, of yeah yeah you know i have to say i find that really regressive because mm. i think you know you can be many types of man, you could be many types of woman, can't you, really? Yeah. And, you know, the fact that you, um, like a man displays, you know, what's thought of as um, 
typically sort of feminine behavior that well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and, and equally yeah. exactly the same for a woman you know yeah what is yeah. wrong really with being yourself you know as you are you know you shouldn't be yeah you know, sort of a woman likes playing football you know I love football but <laughs> she's somehow told that she's actually a man it's ridiculous mm. so we've all got different ideas about what gender is and whether it even exists or if it exists whether it's regressive or whether it's a you know a, an innate thing that every that people feel we've we all believe different things about that and that's okay and the law kind of says that that's okay as well but what we do know about sex is that women are at far greater risk of sort of rape you know sexual assault and violence from from men than men are from women um for example so we know that it's different for us as women so this does have potentially huge implications for women and it's quite shocking to think that that area of sensitivity hasn't even been broached at all it's i think a lot of people will be quite shocked to, to discover that it hasn't even been thought thought about apparently well i was shocked you know as a sort of police officer for 31 years service you know i, I was really shocked by this and it's just strange, really. I mean, I'm just going to refer to the letter again. I dug out from the MPCC site, you know, a previous statement by them where they refer to an inquiry they were carrying out and they talk about the rebuilding of women's trusts, trust. And they say in it, and I quoted this in the letter to them, police chiefs are listening to women's voices about what needs to change. Well, are they? Because yeah. quite clearly they haven't. So, um, you know, that really, really worries me. You know, where are the brave, strong chief constables to say, to mm. say this is the law? You know, we need to listen to the public here. You know, mm -hmm. this is ridiculous. What, what, um, what sort of percentage of chief constables would you say are women? There's quite a lot of women. I is mean, there? I, right. Yeah, there are. There yeah. are. You know, they weren't. You know, obviously when I joined, you know, they, <laughs> there weren't any when I joined, but. <laughs> There weren't that has officers. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. very much a case of like, you know, token police women on shifts, etc. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of um female chief constables now. Yeah. yeah but, you know, I don't think it's just a case for the female chief constables to be standing up and sort of saying this. I think all chief constables need to, you know, they need to apply the law. Yeah. You know, they need to get back to policing without fear or favour and policing impartially and not being affected mm. by ideology, you know, so that you know, so that everybody can trust the police and have confidence in them. Mm. You know, this what you mentioned about that women may not if, if a woman's um, arrested, she's probably going to be in a state of feeling upset anyway. And we don't always manage to assert ourselves and our preferences when we're feeling upset. But there's also I mean, do you would you agree with me that there's also the risk that a woman may not be happy about the situation of someone of the opposite sex um, doing the strip search or the intimate search but she may feel because there's been such a lot of pressure and because there's rainbows all over the police force and everywhere else could she feel coerced and unable to speak up absolutely you know and and i and i think that's a really i think you're spot on there mandy i think that's a real risk as to what's going to happen you know Policing doesn't take place in a vacuum. You know, stop search and searching is a sort of highly, you know, especially when you get to strip searching and a more thorough search, it, you know, it's a highly invasive tactic. It's even more important because it's invasive that we get it right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it's an back important to tactic, you know, to protect the individual. Protect the yes. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so thinking about what you said earlier as well about the trust in the British public, and we know that we had the murder, of, well, the arrest, the abduction, the rape, and then the murder of Sarah Everard by Wayne Cousins, who was a serving police officer at the time. Mm. And that absolutely hammered women's confidence in general in policing within this country to such an extent that we then had that outpouring of well, grief and anger at the protests that took place during lockdown. Mm -hmm. People defied lockdown. Everyone had kind of complied with it, I think. Most people had been really compliant with it, apart from the people leading the country, unfortunately. But um, but we had that. And the police were also heavy-handed at that event. Um, and uh, then we've had sort of uh, Bieber Henry and Nicole Smallman, the two sisters who were murdered, and pictures of them were shared by police officers, male police officers mm. on WhatsApp. We had an independent report in February that found that some officers had been just casually joking about rape victims. Yeah. Um, and then we've had the strip search of um, Child Q. Uh, it was a 15-year-old girl whose mum wasn't informed before that took place, which is in breach of what, what the guidelines say should happen. And there were also male officers present when she was um, strip searched which also goes against the, the guidance. I mean, would you say that, what would you, what, have you got any comments about what where women's confidence really is in, in policing in general within this country at the moment? Well, you know, my sort of impression is that it's really, really poor, you know, really poor, which is why, again, it was so important that they got this searching guidance, correct? I mean, you've quoted some awful examples there, um, you, know, you know, excellent examples, if you know what I mean, but awful as well in, in terms of what yeah. happened, you know, with regards to the sort of vigil for Sarah that took place. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, that you know, that had massive sort of media impact and everybody saw the images, etc. And it's a, I've got to say, you know, it's a really difficult job for mm -hmm. police officers to manage sort of, um, you know, events and protests. And we understand, I think everybody yeah. sort of understands that. Mm -hmm. But then when you sort of see... You know, the, those conversations that you referred to, you know, those photographs having been taken and shared, you know, completely unforgivable, horrendous events. You know, what are those officers thinking about, you know, and, and to be joking about things like rape, it's just completely beyond the pale yeah. and unacceptable. Yeah. I wanted to make one point, Mandy, if that's OK as well, Go about it, yeah. the searching mm -hmm. I haven't mentioned, and that is that the MPCC also mentioned within their sort of their agreed policy mm -hmm. that if a woman objected and that objection was felt to be discriminatory behaviour, that consideration would be given to creating a non-crime hate incident or even a hate crime, you know, a crime, if it yes. passed the threshold. Yeah. So if, if someone, if someone who's, with, in, who's a police officer within that situation interpreted a woman's objections in that way she could find herself criminalized so not only is she forced to undergo that intimate search by someone of the opposite sex but she herself could be criminalized for objecting if it's perceived as having been transphobic i i imagine well again you know and that's what we don't have clarity over but you know the way things have gone before with sort of hate crimes and non-hate crime incidents because we know because a lot of these are sort of obviously played out in the yeah. public arena and, and people, you know, certain individuals have obviously, you know, taken the step of challenging policing with mm. regards to that. But we can see the harm that that does then, you know, and this yes. woman who effectively 
you know, you could argue is being sexually assaulted by way of a strip search that mm. arguably, you know, should not be happening because he mm. says a person of the same sex should be carrying yes. it out and mm. not the same gender, is then being criminalised potentially or non-crime, non-hate crime, non-crime hate incident mm -hmm. against her. You know, are we, are yeah. we completely mad here? You know, have we lost the plot in policing? Mm. I'm not an embittered ex-officer. No. You know, I'm, I'm a sort of 31 and a half year service officer who sort of went, you know, well past retirement age. And and it really worries and distresses me to see them making these decisions. You know, what mm. is going on? I know that um, this is something that I discussed with you when we were planning this session. And I was kind of asking you about the police force and whether it whether you perceive it to be more sexist or less sexist than it was in the past. And you'd kind of said to me that you... Most people, even though there might be dark humour within the police force, as just as there may be within, you know, some people that work within health or social services or whatever, sometimes there's dark humour. But actually, incidences of people joking about things like rape and things like that, you would, you'd said to me, you thought that's actually quite rare within the police. I don't want to, I don't want people to feel frightened of the police. It seems as if something's happened at the managerial and super at this senior level something's gone wrong at that level. This policy, policy captures happened there rather than on the front line of policing. So yeah, much. I'd uh, say there is a distinction. I'd say rank and file officers, and I'm not negating, you know, there are rank and file officers involved in those horrendous cases that you've mentioned, you know, and, and it's simply inexcusable and quite mm -hmm. rightly, you know, should be dealt with in, you know, in very sort of strong terms. But I think in terms of ideological capture, you may have a sprinkling of officers at sort of ground level who are well versed to that ideology really and are sort of sort of you know potentially pushing it as well. But I think you know it's more in terms of the sort of senior levels of policing, really, where you know you've got police forces agreeing to be to sign up to, you know, the Stonewall Diversity Champions Scheme. We've got a number of forces, I think, who are, you know, currently on their equality index, etc. So you sort mm -hmm. of see then the same language permeating through yeah. all the policies. So, you know, for instance, the MPCC in 2018 agreed some guidance, you know, and some of it was, was sensible in relation to staff members, etc., who identify as transgender, and that is fine, you know. Mm -hmm. Some sensible guidance, but within that document, you know, they've used the language of Stonewall all the way through it. Stonewall are badged on the document. You know, the the forward to the document is written partially from Stonewall as well. You know, this isn't great. You know, because policing needs to be impartial and needs to be seen to be impartial. You know, yes. and, I, and when I read that guidance, you know, I had a little bit of you know, I had another fit really because yeah. Again, for the implications of police women, because I don't think people realise how badly police women are going to be affected by this, because police mm. officers operate under a discipline code, mm. which they're afraid of stepping out of line in relation to, so they're afraid of doing anything wrong in case, you know, their jobs end up at risk, really, in front of senior yes. officers. Yeah. So police women are being put in this position, and the guidance that I read related to individuals, you know, choosing to use changing rooms and showers, etc. at work. And again, not an ounce of sort of thought or consideration for what yeah. you may think about changing, sharing those yes. changing rooms. Yes. You know, and how they may feel. And I probably yes. should say as well, Mandy, that I mentioned the police federation who represent constables, sergeants, and inspectors. Mm -hmm. And to, the, to this date, 
I've had no response from them. And they are the staff association that represent those officers. They haven't even bothered replying. Mm. Um, Lucy Masood, I was listening to, I don't know if you've heard her talk yes. at all. But yeah. So I was listening to her um, being interviewed because she was a firefighter before she yeah. came a, a barrister, wasn't she? But she was also involved in the fire uh, FBU, the union. Yeah. Um, she was talking about in the sort of old days when she first became, because I think she was a firefighter for over 10 years, 12 years or something like that. And in the early days, um, women had to share changing rooms with um, male firefighters and they didn't have any spaces of their own. And a lot of them had to get changed in their in their cars and they didn't have their own toilets, etc. And when they actually, through the union or whatever, they managed to win those rights, they did have some men who would deliberately sabotage their spaces, who would deliberately go and wheel over the toilets and things like that. There was sexism still, you know, within, there was like a hangover of sexism. I don't mm. know whether it continued longer term. Um, how, how, did you, how did you find things developed in terms of women's recognition and rights and, and being valued within the force over the years that you were in? Did yeah, you see um, anything like that or was, it, or was it not really like that? Well, it was a totally different world when I joined, you know, and lots of sort of great officers then as well. But, you know, it was really, you know, it wasn't that many years since they'd sort of gotten rid of a specific policewoman's department when women were actually paid only a proportion of the men's wage and only carried out certain duties. So, you know, the era in which I joined, you know, you were sort of joining very much, you know, as one of a very few policewomen on the shift you know very few holding anything above sort of middle management rank as well i mean i had my first child in uh, early 1993 you know the the sort of the general sort of view of my colleagues around me was oh there's no way you'll come back to work after having a child because nobody comes back mm. um you know and, and the sort of provisions for looking after you during your pregnancy and you're just expected to patrol until you became too big for your uniform. So <laughs> there were, there was, you know, I could sort of probably fill a day with sort of telling you about that and about the casual <laughs> everyday sort of sexism. You know, we didn't even just to give you a bit of a laugh. We had to, we had to wear skirts as well. We weren't allowed to wear trousers. We had to wear right. skirts. Mm -hmm. um, and in my force, particularly as well, we, was, we were using truncheons at the time as well. The police mm -hmm. women had a sort of a teeny version of a truncheon so that it would fit in there. No hand. way. So it would no fit. No way. In. No, I'm serious. So <laughs> you, the men had this huge thing and the ladies had a little version so it would fit in your handbag. So you can imagine how useful that was. Yeah. I, do, I just I think it's important to because um, also Lucy Masood was talking about they didn't have their own uniforms. There was they weren't made to fit women, so they had to wear men's uniforms. Yeah. As well. Well, so we've got to remember these things because it's not that long ago, but it, it highlights how undervalued and underappreciated the differences between the sexes has been um, and how much less power women have had, you know, yeah. and, and still have to a large extent. And so when women are worried about things like these new guidelines, it's not for no reason. You know, no. it's not to be mean or anything like that. Um, have you had anyone say to you, the work that you're doing around this to raise awareness is transphobic or is un or is mean or unkind or anything like that. Well, not to my face at the moment, Mandy. <laughs> I have to say, um, yeah. and in fact, you know, the the people I've sort of known, um, sort of in my sort of previous work in life, who who have mentioned it, have all been really, really positive that it's the right Good. thing. Mm -hmm. So, 
I just like those senior officers really to step back a bit from the ideology and look at the big picture again because I think they're letting people down. They're certainly letting women down. Yeah. Okay. So um, before we sort of come back to that issue and look at maybe what needs to change, what, what people can do, and also what women have been discovering, because I know um, a number of women have written to their own chief constables in their own within their own police forces. So we can find out a bit more about what the feedback has been so far and if there's any reason, any, any reason to be hopeful uh, for change at the moment. Um, I thought it would be remiss if we didn't come back to the issue of hate crime and talk about... Um, what would you call it, freedom of speech uh, and censorship and the involvement of the police in some high profile incidences just recently with that as well. I mean, I, what on earth is going wrong? What's going wrong? We've got um, this, uh, let me have a look. We had um, the lady, I can't remember the woman, her name, uh, she was on Twitter. Um, and she'd posted a video. I mean, this is just the most recent. We had Je Kelly J. Keane, who had two police officers visit her house on the no. weekend to tell her that she'd been untoward about no. paedophiles. No. That was it. And they hadn't actually watched the video. They hadn't seen the video um, in order to verify whether the complaint about her was malicious or was accurate or anything like that. No. But, they, but they went straight round to her house in a day and age when police are really pressed for resources and for time and really overstretched. Um, and then we had um, Lawrence Fox filming um, that guy who'd posted a meme that was found to have caused anxiety to one of his neighbours or to someone else on, on Facebook. And the guy got arrested and Lawrence Fox also got arrested. And while they were being arrested, they were saying to the police, look, this is the law. And they were giving them chapter and verse, you know, what you're doing, you've got no grounds to do this. There's no grounds for you to, for you to charge us with any of these things. I think there was a malicious malicious intent or something like that was the charge that they were arrested on and then they were released after hours of being you know held um in the cells without charge um and i think they're pressing charges themselves now against the police um, and then more recently we've had this poor woman this amazing woman who stood her ground she put a sticker on her door which said something about gender erases women or something ideology like gender ideology yeah which really when we're talking about these guidelines and what you're saying about everyone having shifted from talking about sex to talking about gender, when the law doesn't actually talk about gender in those terms when it comes to strip searching, that's you could say that's actually an accurate sticker. It's not it's not actually mean about anybody. It's a description of what's actually happening in real time to policy at the senior level in policing, in prisons, you know, in, in how we respond to children in terms of their psychological health um, and their physical health right across the board. Um, so this woman, uh, I don't know if you heard the clips of the video, it was so upsetting. Yeah, she's she's been a victim of rape twice. She was trying to say to this PCSO, I need spaces to be able to go, which are women only. And the PCS was saying to her, why do you, you know, what, what, what's, what's wrong with, basically what's wrong with having men in your spaces, you need to be yeah. kinder. That was the gist of it to someone who was a rape victim. I mean, any, any thoughts on what, how we got here, you know? I've got, I've got loads of thoughts, but again, it's this yeah. conflation of sex with gender, isn't it? That's at the heart of all this really. And the failure of public organisations to step up and properly mm -hmm. consider these issues. You know, they're only yeah. listening yeah. To, you know, certain parties really with regards to this. I mean, all those things you've outlined are absolutely horrendous and they're there forever to be seen. I mean, I've listened to that 
um, that recording of that sort of poor woman, really, and what she mm. went through. I totally understand and respect her need for a single mm -hmm. sex space in that, yeah. you know, in those situations as outlined. You know, of course she needs a single sex space, and there is nothing wrong with her mm. having a single sex space too. She should be supported and respected. Why are her rights less important now? That is completely and utterly wrong. In the mm. Kelly J example, well, Kelly J is a fantastically strong and brave woman, but you know, police off, but it still doesn't make it right. You know, police officers turning up to somebody's door like that. You know, that no, would, that would no, no, and absolutely, and it's it's women's have their children as well like for that woman for, her name was Bella Doe on Twitter her name is Bella Doe I don't know if that's her actual name but her, her daughter came down the stairs yeah. and, and defended her her daughter yeah. was amazing and fantastic. the two of them were amazing and fantastic I don't know if there was another daughter in the mix as well um, but it sounded like um, she was defending her mum's right to be able to say there's a difference between sex and gender and that is within her legal right to do so and yet this PCSO was was kind of giving her the wrong version of the law. Ridiculous, you know, absolutely yeah, yeah. and completely wrong what that PCSO was saying. You know, people have gone to court and they are ready to establish this, you know, yes. status, sort of what, what she's done, you know, the Alison Bailey Tribunal, you know, all those things, you know, have, have established that, you know, you can talk about the reality of biological sex, you know, it's crazy mm -hmm. that we even perhaps have to say that, isn't it? Yeah. But what are the police doing anyway, you have to say, in sort of involving in people, you know, taking offence at things? I mean, you referred to the... Um, the recording of the gentleman or the two two gentlemen who were arrested really and i think there was a yeah. reference where a police officer said you made somebody anxious yes it's not the business in my view of the police to be dealing with everybody's anxiety and everybody's offense you know mm -hmm. that that's not the role of the police in this country really to be controlling people's thought and the expression of their thought mm -hmm. uh, what on earth is going on there? And it's just this constant slippage, really, of the police doing more and more outside of their core role. Yeah. What about hate speech? So, um, or hate hate crime? So, um, I've recently, as a counsellor, I've I've been asking questions of our council leader about. Um, the appropriateness of us hosting Drag Queen Story Hour and funding that as a council. I mean, A, it's a political thing, potentially, um, and B, it potentially also kind of um, flies in the face of just the established guidelines around safeguarding and not blurring the lines between adult entertainment and mm -hmm. child education. And C, it doesn't really represent the LGB community in any way, shape or form. A drag artist isn't someone who's trans that's not what they're representing mm -hmm. and most people who are trans probably like to get on with their lives and pass as genuinely female or male if they possibly can not to have this you know overly sexualized sort of hyped up representation of women so we're not even talking about trans people but in sort of posting about this publicly as a counselor and saying look i'm asking questions about this um i've got concerns about it um i've been told i've uh, been called names obviously but other another counselor has come on and said that he thinks that children are, are unsafe around me um <laughs> so i know so the lengths that people are going to and and um and the kinds of things that are being said to people i mean we don't have any 
protection in law, I don't think, as women, because there was a, recently, I remember there was a push, but it was unfortunately, it was by Stella Creasy MP to get hate crime against women on the basis of sex established in law. And that was opposed by a lot of us because the, the gender ideology had been tagged onto it. Um, so this, the, the fact that the, you know, this definition of who is trans makes it impossible really to say what transphobia is. But if you had a bad law that didn't straighten all of that out, then people could be being prosecuted for transphobia when all they've said is what's currently in alignment with the law is that it's not possible to change sex, that there's a difference between men and women that needs to be taken account of in certain policies and spaces. I mean, do you think we now need to look at that again and maybe try and get something within legislation that specifically protects women on the basis of their sex and on the basis of their sex alone? regardless of what their gender identity is? I mean, potentially, Mandy, but, you know, there's a long way to go, isn't there, really, before we get, you know, you know, every all the organisations involved in sort of framing that law, really, to recognise what sex actually is, yeah. as opposed to, you know, an interpretation that includes gender identity. You know, we need to be really, really clear in our terms, you know, sex matters. Yes. Um, I'll come back to the sort of drag queen story hour thing in a moment, if I may, mm -hmm. but... I mean, if I can just refer to the fact that, you know, where it's getting so, so messy and confused, Keep Prison Single Sex, you know, a fantastic organisation, obviously did an exercise recently around how police forces were recording um, perpetrators, victims, etc. you know, their data recording. Mm -hmm. And the situation was an absolute mess. You know, lots of forces were allowing people to identify what their own gender was, really. Um, and even allowing where people said they were non-binary to record an indeterminate finding. You know, data is important. Data integrity is important. It frames policies and services. You know, if that is a mess and the police are, you know, throwing it to the wind, really, then, you know, that's completely wrong. You know, and, yeah. and while I'm on the subject of keep prison single sex as well, you know, that, that sort of conflation of sex with gender has led directly to men being placed in women's prisons you know and i yes. just think i find it shocking mm. that there hasn't been more of a ruckus in relation to that and certainly a ruckus from the left mm. you know the political left about those you know the most vulnerable women in our society mm -hmm. really being incarcerated with men with often horrendous consequences there are totally different offending patterns mm. between females who go to prison and males who go to prison and you know yeah just find that unforgivable yeah on the sort of drag queen story hour sort of thing really you know drag isn't really my thing I know a lot of people like it but my understanding of it is that it, it's an adult sort of industry you know primarily associated with pubs and nightclubs you know and people enjoy it yeah so what I would say in relation to the suitability um to sort of translating that over to children I mean you've obviously said a lot there as well mm. But it's almost become untouchable from criticism, which is what yes. you've seen the accusations pointed at you. And what yeah. I would say is it is extremely dangerous to create any sacred cast of people mm. that cannot be open to criticism without you being accused of hateful behaviour or some sort of phobia. You know, that mm. we know where the dangers lie, really, with creating a sacred cast of people. Yeah. And criticism. Yeah. And the whole thing around safeguarding and child safeguarding is that all of us, it's all of our responsibility and it should always be okay for anyone to raise concerns Absolutely. for any reason, you know. We shouldn't ever be suppressing anybody from raising concerns where, where it involves kids. And uh, 
potential avenues for for predation um as well as as well as it's not just that it's just as well as blurring of boundaries we're going to have one of our guests that we're having on within the next couple of weeks is going to talk more about embodiment and how um the kinds of things that children need in order to be able to keep themselves safe um so i think that that'll help us kind of unpack that area in a little bit more detail um we need to go to questions i want to ask you um just before we do about your activism so we know that some women have written to their own chief constables is there any light at the end of the tunnel at the moment do you think well, women across you know all the sort of uh, nation the you know, england scotland wales northern ireland have written to their chief constables and to their police and crime commissioners concerned women living in those police force areas to see yeah. if they are implementing the npcc policy that they agreed to support um, there's a sort of variety of sort of responses coming back in relation to that. You know, there are some sort of notable examples of people who are concerned about implementing it um, and who are carrying out further work first. I think, you know, it would be unfair if I didn't mention, you know, that Greater Manchester Police, for instance, in, in fairness to them, have recently held um, a focus group with women of the Greater Manchester area to hear directly what their concerns are from them before they decide anything. And, and that's to their credit, you know, at least they're listening now. So, you know, well done the officers who've done that. But primarily what's coming back from other forces is they're working towards implementing this searching guidance by the beginning of December. Mm. Um, so it looks as though it's going to be in place in um, virtually all police force areas by the beginning of December. So we've got a little window of time really to kick up fuss about this and say Absolutely. it's not good enough for people to judge this on a case-by-case -case basis. It's not good enough for women to be left to know what their rights are, to be able, that they can question if they don't want to be searched by somebody who's of the opposite sex, but that, that they may be charged themselves with that. that. None of that's good enough. We need to just be saying no to I go further, Mandy. I'd say, you know, in your area in which you live and for everybody else, you elect the PCC, the Police and Crime Commissioner, as your elected representative to hold the Chief Constable to account. They draw up a police and crime plan together, which is viewable online, which will contain policing objectives. Read it. Write to your PCC. We are seeing PCC saying it's nothing to do with me. It's a matter for the chief constable. That isn't yeah. good enough. You know, they're your yeah. elected representatives. Hold them to account. Get them to hold the chief constables to account because it's just mm -hmm. unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I would um, say as well, Women's Rights Network are really, really good, aren't they? On these, on some of these issues, have they got? A yes, <laughs> I love it. Have they got a standard kind of um, suggested letter or anything like that that people can get hold of if they want just a starter for ten of how to word it or how to get the police and crime commissioners at email address or whatever? Um, we're always sort of willing to sort of help support people from the Women's Rights Network in sort of, you know, taking forward action like this. You know, we have, you know, seen the sort of the, the similar letter sort of being used by concerned women for each mm -hmm. police force area. And I have to say as well, some police forces have said, we've become aware that other police forces have had this letter. And it's almost been a situation where you can almost feel their shock that women yeah. can actually mobilize, organize, and have concerns and articulate them. You know, mm -hmm. really, you know, it's mm -hmm. 2022. 
Yeah. You know? and it's only because women have collectivized the really that we've got action on prisons, on the issue with prisons, on the issue with the CAS review and the Tavistock mm -hmm. closure. All of these things, you know, that we're seeing now as well. It's only because of women, isn't it? Yeah. Collectively mobilizing. So they need to watch out. <laughs> Yeah. So let's have a look at some of our questions because I'll get in trouble if I don't could talk, could carry on talking. But so Artemis Rising has said, have police officers complained to the College of Policing or Police Federation yet? Um, and do you know of an FOI? Um, I don't know if police officers have complained as yet. What I would say is it's really difficult for police officers because they're subject to sort of an internal discipline code. You know, and, and I would suggest they're probably... You know, where even if they're sort of concerned, they'd be sort of keeping their heads down. It's just yeah. really difficult. You have to bear in mind, police officers aren't unionised as well. They have no industrial rights. They have a staff association who clearly is not bothered about this because they've said absolutely nothing about it. And those police officers yeah. be worried that they'll end up being done on an internal disciplinary if they say too much and yeah. you know, their job's in jeopardy. Yeah, this is the same as me. I hear from teachers and different people who professionally feel that they can't say anything at work because that's their income, that's their bread and butter. Um, but they're scared and they're worried and they feel compromised. So, in, they, so I think most, for most officers, they probably feel they're in an impossible position, yeah. being put in a really horrible position. Yeah. But it's a really yeah. good question by Artemis Rising, I have to say, you know, and, and it just shows the sort of difficult position that police officers are actually yeah. in in terms of speaking out. Mm -hmm. uh, Baxter L says don't forget about the police spies equity and abuses of women is that I think he might be talking about um, where groups uh, uh, were infiltrated environmental activist groups and left-wing groups mm -hmm. were infiltrated and men yeah. posed as the boyfriends of women even married them in some cases impregnated no. them I know is that, what, is that what that refers to I think I think that's probably what it refers to isn't it and you know I think Baxter's you know right to sort of bring that up you know it's yeah uh, in the mix isn't it really you know the, the suffering of those women really and the sort yeah. of you know, the, the absolute shocking really. misogyny and again that wouldn't have been at the street level you know um frontline officers level that will have been higher up those decisions were taken yeah. and, and those and ethics does, were breached yeah it does also sort of highlight really that those police officers you know without you know going into every individual case are asked to carry out a sort of very undercover sort of plain clothes role where's the supervision of those officers then in terms of you know how far they go in and what they get involved in as well yeah uh, there's another question there from artemis rising but i'll go to well, there's quite a few hang on bronwyn davis how do we get the police to follow the law and the pace guidelines not stonewall's misrepresentations of the law how do we do um, it so well what you've yeah. said, I suppose. We're trying our best now through pressure. Uh, Bronwyn, I have a massive respect for Bronwyn. I know Bronwyn, <laughs> wonderful woman. Um, I would sort of suggest really that I think the police are going to find themselves at some stage, either with sort of individual legal cases where a woman has been searched. I'd hate to think that that was going to happen or potentially in judicial review territory. You know, there's all sorts of sort of possible levels to where this could go but I would sort of you know I would hope mm -hmm. that the association of police and crime commissioners would also get their acts together in relation to this I haven't mentioned, mentioned them much but mm. you know, there are some sensible PCCs I'd like to think yeah they well they need our votes they're elected representatives and they need our votes and my impression is that a lot of them like a lot of politicians would like to just 
bury their heads and avoid having to talk about this or confront it so for me it's our job as women to make sure that they are not able to do that you know we need to put them on the spot and make them feel awkward and make them answer Mandy it's only the difficult people who change things you know a lot of people only want to hear from people who are you know submissive or compliant etc but it then it's it's only the difficult people shouting up at the back of the room or ever anything absolutely and and you don't get the privilege of being elected to a a pub to be a public Mm. representative and then not answer difficult questions that's what you're there to do you know and uh I'm I'm sure that they do enjoy a number of privileges and they get to enjoy that status and they have to do the job that they're there to do don't they um so Artemis Rising has said do you expect a legal challenge to many police constabularies for their promoting stonewall land a stonewall lanyards decorated cars etc a legal challenge Oh, in terms I mean, of the sort of decoration of cars, etc. I think in terms of that, maybe the politicisation of it, because not so much the LGB angle, but the T aspect of it. There's a lot of um, confusion. There isn't really an agreed upon definition of what that means. Um, people mm-hmm. have the right not to go along with gender ideology. We've had that established in law, as you've said. So it's kind of, have the police taken this further really than they should do in terms of politicising I sort of think you know, some things have happened with really good intentions to sort yeah. of deal with sort of mistakes in the past where the police have sort of been, you know, I'm not saying they're perfect now. Please don't think I'm sort of saying that because we know no. that's not the case. But yeah. I think, you know, there's certainly been accusations, well-founded accusations in the past that the police are sort of divorced from the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and a number of instances, you know, historically have happened to sort of, you know, highlight that really in sharp focus. But... I think the police are overcompensating and that's why they've sort of ended up in this mess. They've tried to overcompensate for that, you know, separation, et cetera, from the community by immersing themselves into sort of minority groups to try and give themselves, give them confidence and re-establish police trust. But in doing yeah. so, in sort of displaying all these flags, badges and sort of, you know, taking part in parades, police are then sort of compromising their appearance of impartiality and just really annoying People, you know, with really good reason as well. Um, I can see that some forces are stepping back a little bit from doing that, but a lot seem to be sort of, you know, they're really embracing it and they're having all these sort of cars and vans wrapped and, you Mm. know, various departments, etc., sort of celebrating particular days. And I think it really annoys the public when they see days being celebrated throughout the calendar that are very much focused in one direction. Yes, but not, but it's not applied equitably to everybody. So I just think yeah, we just need to get back to just being, trying mm-hmm. to be as impartial as possible and not involving themselves in any of that. Yeah, because I think that the way that it's being implemented, it can have, as we've said, you know, a chilling effect on people's freedom yeah. of speech. And particularly if an officer gets the wrong end of the stick and they take it too far and they're on someone's, someone who's a rape victim's doorstep telling them that they have yeah. to believe this, they have to believe this and they can't believe that. It's well, kind of, it's clearly gone too far, yeah. Well, why would we be surprised that that has happened when the ideology is coming down from the top? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Can I just ask you, because we've just got a few more minutes about your political activism. So tell us about Jennifer Swain and how she's doing oh, now. Jennifer Swain is an absolutely lovely woman in the Newport area of South Wales. And a lot of people will remember that um, quite a few months ago, she was actually arrested. She's a lady who um, gets around on um, a mobility scooter, which she nicknames Dwayne. 
and she was arrested uh, for putting around pro-women's rights stickers. Um, she was held in custody for many, many hours. Her home was searched, a book was seized from her house, a sort of women's rights, um, a book related to women's rights in relation to, um, I think, the conversion of children. Stickers were seized from her house, etc. She was held on bail for several months. So she had to go through all that sort of agony, really. Um, and sort of look at media articles calling her sort of transphobic, hateful, and sort of suggesting that there was an allegation that there were razor blades underneath stickers. You know, that all yeah. urban myth. <clears throat> I'd have thought the police would have wised up to that one because it's just, you know, absolutely nonsensical. Mm. Um, and eventually, you know, the CPS, it went all the way to the Crown Prosecution Service, who basically kicked it into touch and said no mm. further action. So, yeah, Jen Swain, we had a number of events outside the Newport Police Station to support her, some mm -hmm. organised by ourselves, WRN Wales and Merched Cymru, LGB Allies Cymru, Labour Women's Declaration, and a number of other groups, at WDI. Sex Matters. Affilia were there, you know, mm -hmm. and there was another event as well at which um, Kelly J. Keane came down from Standing for Women as well outside yeah. Newport Police Station. So we certainly, you know, put a lot of support around Jen, mm -hmm. you know, she's yeah. a lovely woman, she should never yeah. have gone through that, and she's yeah. never been arrested for stickers. No, no, it's similar to what's happened with Bella Doe, isn't it? The women have kind mm -hmm. of gathered around them and offered them that, that comfort and that support. It's incredibly important, I think, that, uh, thank you for name-checking all of those organisations, and we'll make sure that we put um, links to them in the, in the information on, underneath the video. But just to say that we can't fight, any of us can fight this. We can't fight it individually, alone and separately. And one of the kind of silver linings to this horrendous situation is that women have started to come back together again really strongly and support each other and to coordinate in how we're campaigning. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I find that a huge comfort as well, yeah, just to I know that I'm not the only one. Yeah, so... Yeah. So thank you very much to all of these organisations. And I want to thank you as well, Cathy, for coming on and speaking so frankly and um, warmly, really, about a difficult topic. Um, I would like to remind everyone again, if you could subscribe to our YouTube channel, that would be really helpful. Um, we'll be back again next week. And thanks once again, everyone, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Mandy. Thanks, everybody.